Welcome to Greenhouse Grower to Grower, the podcast where we talk to growers from across the greenhouse industry about market trends, innovation, their biggest challenges and opportunities, and more. I'm Brian Sparks, Senior Editor of Greenhouse Grower. In the first episode of Greenhouse Grower to Grower, we talked with Art Van Wingerden, one of the owners of Metrolina Greenhouses. This week, we're talking to Art's brother, Abe Van Wingerden, about why 2023 was a success for Metrolina and its customers, the power of data, and why it's important to stick to your plan even during tumultuous times. Here's our conversation. This was a good year. I mean, we're, we're excited about going into the year, uh, but a little bit apprehensive because uh, 22 wasn't a great year for us. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is the three little bears. Uh, in 20 and 21, we didn't have enough. In 22, we had too much. And in 23, is just right. So and that's the way I kind of look at this uh, year. It's, it's, uh, it's normal. We have the ups and downs of weather. But as anybody in the industry knows, but this year, the consumer, that kind of post-COVID consumer stayed. The weather was good, not great. And we saw great sales uh, out of it. So I'm, I, mean, I feel really good still about where the consumer is. So on top of like how we run our business and our retail partners, and we can get into some of that, uh, the, the consumer's in a really good place in the live good space. And if I'm in grills or lawn furniture, I'm not saying that because during COVID, people bought a new grill, new lawn furniture. They don't need a new grill every year. They don't need new lawn furniture every year. But if they keep that outdoor space decorated, they need new plants every year. And this has been another year where we've seen that. So, uh, so we're excited about that. I got to imagine these past couple of years, it's been a challenge to just kind of predict where things are going to go from year to year, just you know, with the, the wave of COVID and then how to respond, you know, when people started getting back into the normal routines and then how does that translate into 23? And I know you guys especially tend to look ahead, you know, how does that kind of play into your planning with this unpredictability? Yeah, we, you know, if you've started at our company or in this industry within four years, you haven't had a normal year yet. Now, now I can't say I don't. I'm not an historian. I can't go, hey, 2004. This is just like 2014. I think we all kind of have this memory we want to have, but it's all not always exactly historically correct. But I do believe that as we roll to 24, we will get back to some normalized ways of doing business where we can kind of predict the growth a little better, where we can kind of see where the consumer trends are going. We're not going to have uh, uh, hopefully a pandemic or, or anything sort of, um, you know, altering in the way consumers buy. Uh, yes, they're moving more online. Yes. They're buying more for decorating than digging. Yes, there are trend and color changes, but those are things we can be on top of and watch grow naturally versus what I call very altering experience like COVID was. And so, so you know, the year before COVID was that last so-called normal year of 19, but 20 was crazy, 21 was crazy, 23, we're just trying to get our arms around it. And I really believe like 24 through 27, we'll be able to do a little bit better predictive analytics on uh, where, where we go. Now we can say oh, we're going into AI space and all that. It's just data, using data yeah. to look at trends and understand those three pillars of where consumers are going, but but not layering a pandemic on top of it. You know, you mentioned data, and I was going to kind of bring that up later on in the discussion, but we might as well talk about it now. So, you know, that's sort of this this big buzzword that's kind of taking shape in the industry right now. And, you know, that there's there's in my mind, there, there's two elements to it. There's collecting data, and then there's making informed decisions from the data you're collecting. Um, how is that kind of going for you guys? And are you guys looking at new tools to be able to then, to, you know, take that data and then make informed decisions on what you're going to do? 
Yeah, yeah, Brian, it's a great question. Uh, I think there's so much there. That's the problem. Uh, you know, for in the 90s and early 2000s, it was all about let's gather data, let's collect sales data, let's house it. We we're talking about servers and space on servers to house years of data. But we spend a lot of time collecting data and not analyzing data. And, and, and our team really in the last five years has made that switch to where now data comes in every morning through uh, BI tools and, and different uh, you know, web crawlers and analytics, you can house the data pretty quickly. And now the teams are spending a lot more time analyzing the data, looking for trends, looking for nuances, looking for regional uh, differences. I think the next level gets a little harder because now the data is gonna be, as we move in more of the DTC online space, before I could roll everything up to one big Walmart number or one big Lowe's number or one big Home Depot number. And in the DTC space, you got to roll it up to individual consumer numbers. And so now you're rolling up your daily number and your hosta number and, and things of that nature. So it, it's going to be different. Uh, you know, I don't believe AI is going to change everything about our industry. I believe that data is actually already there. It's just a, a function of us utilizing that data, the, you know, and, and Art and I talk it all the time. There's three levels. There's the environmental data you have to allow that to be more predictive. That's you have labor and employment data. That's very uh, key to use, like how long does it take to do a task? How repeatable is it? Things of that nature. And then you have your sales and scan data from your stores and retail partners and online businesses that you have to look at as well. So it's not sort of this sort of data and one big data thing. It's kind of broken down into environmental employment and then sales data as we look at it. You know, we kind of talked about, you know, how this year has gone. So what do you think is the biggest like lesson that you've learned this year that you're going to then take into how you plan for the next couple of years? Yeah, you know, uh, the, the biggest thing for me is stick to your plan. Uh, we we spend six months uh, putting our plan together every year for the following year. And in six minutes, we can torpedo it. And I don't know why we all do that, but we're always, we think we're smarter in the moment than we are with the historical data. And, and in our business, especially because you do go through ups and downs is not just the seasonality, but within a season, you have micro seasons that are so volatile. You, you just can't keep changing day by day your plan. You have to say, hey, we got this plan. There might be a period where we're dumping a little more, but there'll be another period where we're selling a lot more. And not overreacting to those micro trends are probably is the lesson that we've learned because during COVID you were scrambling. You, you were trying to find pots, trying to find plants. Then did we have too many? Not enough. And if we'd have just stuck with our plan, we probably would have been just as effective. And so, so I look at don't blow up six months of planning with six minutes, six hours, or six uh, days of uh, information or feedback. Okay. You know, before we go too further down the road, um... You know, as folks are listening to this, you know, a lot of them are going to know about you and about Metrolina, but not everybody is. So can you maybe just kind of talk about, you know, what, what your current role is at Metrolina? And then the other thing I want to ask is, you know, Metrolina is you know, it's a multi-generation family-run company, which is, is pretty rare, especially for a company of that scale in this industry today. So can you maybe talk about uh, the value of that and, you know, what, what makes everybody want to stick around and keep the company going um, and improve over the years? 
Yeah, no, it, it, it's a fun story. Uh, you know, I always say we, uh, we're, we're like a, a swan or a duck. Uh, we look great on top of the water, but we're paddling like hell underneath. And so that's a little bit of the magic sauce here at Metrolina. But but for us, I mean, we, uh, you know, we're 50 years old as a company, but but I really believe the team looks forward versus back. Uh, we just did our 50th celebration. That was a, we spent the first four months yeah. celebrating the history and how we got started. But then the last eight months was more about forward thinking projects and how we hit into the next 50 years in space. So I think one, the company always thinks ahead and our dad taught us that. He, he was always thinking ahead, not looking back. And I think that's there. Uh, I think number two, uh, amazingly, we're a big family, but we were all blessed with different talents. Uh, so we don't have among my, me and my three brothers who run the company now, none of us are experts in every part of this business. Uh, and we all have expertise in parts the other one doesn't. So we've just been blessed to where we're not battle roiling over sales or, or operations or logistics or purchasing. Each of us has very distinctive roles here at the company. So you have four individuals working uh, to make the business better rather than four people always having to come together all day to agree on every single little decision. And we trust each other to make those decisions. Uh, we still collectively work as a group on the big decisions, but I really believe that ability to separate those talents into specific areas of the business helps. Now, we again are blessed to be a large enough scale to where that works. Uh, and so there is a full row full role for each of those positions. Uh, we cover 1400 retail outlets, cover all three of the big box retailers in this space and Walmart, Lowe's and Home Depot, uh, cover 19 states and have 1400 employees. So, so that's kind of the Metroline ethos. Uh, and, and, but I really believe from a leadership standpoint, that ability for each of us to work different areas allows us not to sit there and butt heads around the coffee table every day, like some family businesses might have uh, to struggle yeah. with. So that's interesting you say that because then as you said, you know, you guys have have the capacity to uh, be able to have you know specific roles for specific people. Um, it, any advice that you might have for like a, a smaller to mid-sized company that where you've got, you know, the owners playing the the role of of grower is playing the role of of team manager, human resources manager, et cetera. How you might be able to balance those types of roles when you when you when you're working on a smaller scale. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that's that's fair. I mean, we were there at one point, so so we kind of know that. And uh, you know, simple things like data is your friend, uh, but also people are your friend. Uh, and there is no business where one person runs it. That I don't know of one. I've I've been around the whole country, seen a lot of different size growers, and there's never a grower who runs a farm and that's all he or she does and has no team. So you're always going to have a team, and whether your team's four people, forty people, four hundred people. How you leverage that team is so key in that because, um, you know, our IT director has a great statement he stole from someone else, but he says you, you can't be a mile wide and an inch deep. Uh, and, and that's, uh, you know, what you have to think about as an owner and as a business manager, trying to have your hand in everything's very difficult. Uh, yeah. I would tell you myself, Art, Michael and Thomas, the four uh, guys who run Metrolina, all of us are type A's who want to get involved in everything. And we all have a lot of capacity to do it, but we also know that's not to the benefit of the company. And, and I do believe the ability, whether, again, whether your team's four people or 400, trusting your people uh, and utilizing data to help validate that trust is a big part of our business model or any like business you, model. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I like how you also mentioned, too, when you were talking about, and I did want to bring up, you know, the 50th anniversary of, of Metrolina. So, but as you said, it's not just about looking at the past and, and where you've gotten to where you are today. It's also looking ahead and taking the lessons that you might have learned in the past 50 years and applying them to, and I think that's a refreshing approach to take is, you know, it's it's all about looking forward while while using what you've learned in the past to build your own future. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a big part of it. I, you know, you, uh, you you don't, I always tell folks, you know, 20 years ago, this industry changed with all the three letter words. They were uh, ASN, UPC, you know, you think of all these things. Uh, we used to just grow plants and, and yeah. the models change with this retailer now uh, having a lot more power. But 20 years from now, the through direct to consumer and the internet and everything going on, the consumer is going to have all this power. And we need to be ready for that. So yes, uh, the the glory days, if so to speak, of when the grower had plants and people came and bought them, that was great. But then it changed with big box retailing. And I do believe that next phase is individual consumers having a lot more power in, in this relationship and, and our ability to listen to them and hear what they say and adapt and change is gonna be a big part of how we uh, look at the future model and people are like, well, that's crazy. But in 1970, nobody thought there was going to be a Walmart, Home Depot, and Lowe's either. So, 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 just, just, you know, we'll record this and remember, you know, in 2050, all these consumers with the individual clicks are kind of driving our purchase and 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 uh, uh, production plans more so than these retailers are today. So that focus on, on consumers, then, how does that kind of tie into your omni-channel sales approach? And then I know you guys also have your your home garden panel. Um, can you can you can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, you know, I, I look at this and everybody goes, you know, I said earlier, stick to the plan, you know, but but that plan adapts every year. It doesn't mean we have one plan for the next 20 years and we stick to it. Uh, you know, the, the part that gets difficult is figuring out forecasting. Now, Walmart or Lowe's or Home Depot or even uh, on different scales, they give you a buy plan. I want 100,000 of this and 10,000 of that. And we always kind of, uh, you know, generate some form of like, hey, we won't sell every one of those, but if we sell 90% of them, we're happy. With consumers, they buy one plant at one time. Uh, and, and so this Omni approach is going to have to have all of us growers start thinking about how we think like a retailer and like, how do I take those 100 plants and turn them into 100 sales? Uh, and so I think that's a big part of it. But I believe, you know, in Omni, we are all get get kind of stuck on the, the the purchase itself, and there's so much more to it. There is the fulfillment, like a contract with FedEx to run the logistics side of it to get it to consumers' homes because it's a fresh product. The content, because now your retail store is your screen in front of you, so you don't have 12 tables anymore. You have pictures and clicks and videos. Uh, you know, that's such a big part of it. Then it's your customer service. You got to be able to follow up these customers because yeah. you got to get them to come back and buy from you again. Uh, and then uh, what retailers do for us today that we will have to learn how to do in partnership with them or on somewhat of our own is how to create demand, how to generate demand and get folks to come to you to site and buy plants online in a way that's different than what we think today when we just ship the product to the retailer and then the in-store ads and the in-store experience drive that purchase. Now it's that clicks and content to drive it. So it's it's just, it's a different model. It's not undoable. It won't happen next year. Uh, but, you know, uh, we looked at it uh, online was about $300 million of our $8 billion industry four years ago. 
Today, let's say our industry is 10 billion now. It is now 1.4 billion transacted online. Uh, and, and a lot of people, when I say that, kind of go, there's no way it's 1.4 billion. I can give you five companies that do north of 100 million online in live goods today. Uh, and that gets you halfway there almost. And so it, it, it is there. It's happening. And we just have to embrace it and be a part of it. You don't have to, as a, a grower, be have to own your own website, but you better find partners who are selling product online so you can find new customers yeah. as time goes along. Absolutely, keeping up with the with, with how people are buying things today, that's critical. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the reasons, and it, this has always impressed me about Metroline, it's one of the reasons, and I brought this up with Art and why I want to have this conversation, is you guys are obviously one of the bigger growers in the industry, um, but I've always really appreciated your, your willingness to be an educator and an advocate for the industry. I know you've spoken at, at some of our own events and, you know, you and Art have been involved, whether it's it's articles for trade publications or webinars or even things like this. What? Why do you guys take that approach? Because it can be very easy to kind of live in your own world and say, we're going to keep growing on our own, you know, and we're in it for us. But it's how do you guys approach working with the entire industry and educating the industry? Yeah, I, I think that uh, you know, I'll give you a couple uh, couple reasons, and then a, a great example of why it yeah. works. Because uh, I think it's we can make the, all the statements, but it's got to work too. You right. know, uh, it, the old saying: "A rising tide lifts all boats." Uh, and if we can help grow the industry, that's good for the big players in the industry. If the industry grows, and so uh, so I'm more than happy to be a part of finding ways to make this industry grow uh in, in in ways of whether it's people development whether it's product development whether it's data development all of those are big parts of what we have to do as an industry uh and i'll give you an example we came up with a, a new product uh, a few years back uh and we got it to the retailers retailers bought into it things were going well for a year or two and then all of a sudden the retail partner came to us and said, hey, we don't want that product anymore. And I said, why? I said, this is selling well. I said, yeah, it's selling well for you, but all the other growers are struggling with it. Uh, mm. And it's not working for us nationally and thus we don't need it anymore. And the next year we came back with an additional idea and then got with every grower and shared culture information, shared timing, shared uh, when they should look at it. And all of a sudden that program, which looked very similar to the old program, was super successful because it was good for Walmart or Lowe's or Home Depot across yeah. all their stores. And so this concept of I can live my own little bubble, do my own little items, and even at our scale where we're doing 1400 retail outlets, if it only works at 20% of the Lowe's stores across the country, they're not gonna make it a big program down the road. And so so, so there's a little bit of selfish uh, behavior going on too. We need everybody to be successful, especially on initiatives because those initiatives can get bigger. And we do the same thing with the breeder partners too. We can't work with Ball or Syngenta or Duman or PW and only make it work in our stores. It won't have long-term uh, uh, longevity for us. Uh, and that's going to hurt our profitability for having to change product all the time uh, based on it didn't work for some other people, but it worked for you. So that's kind of some examples of how us working together is going to be better for Metrolina just as well as it's better for the industry then. Yeah. You know, I, I want to ask too about some of the um, external forces that are kind of driving um, where you guys are now and where you're headed. I know labor is always the biggest topic that comes up. Last year or the past couple of years, you heard a lot more about the supply chain, which seems to be kind of easing itself now. Um, but for Metroliner, you know, again, if you want to talk about labor a little bit, but then also what are some of the other big external factors that are shaping the direction of where you guys go moving forward? 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk labor. I'm sure Art talked to it a little bit as well. I mean, on labor, you know, kind of we've taken three approaches to labor. Uh, number one, we, we've we invested, like many other people have, an H-2A program, and that has been very successful. Uh, we have up to 500 H-2A workers between our two locations now uh, on a seasonal basis, and the program works well. Government supported, and it, it really works well in our system. But that's just not a solution. That's one of our solutions. Number two, we've invested significantly in wages. So what was a average wage of around uh, $12 an hour uh, five years ago is now eighteen fifty an hour. So that's a okay. major increase in wages uh, on top of the H-2A investment. And then third, what we found one of our biggest costs were, because we all get caught up in starting wage and caught up in uh, H-2A, was our retention wasn't where we needed it to be. So we've invested uh, a lot in training. Uh, I think going to cultivate over the years and listen to folks like Willoughby Farms and folks like that who really do this well, we needed to figure out how to do that well too. So we've invested in a staff and, and in systems to train our folks to create loyalty, to create skill development, to create leadership uh, capability. So we keep these folks around because replacing folks costs you just as much as uh, some of the other costs I was talking about earlier. So I really yeah. feel like it's a three uh, tiered approach, not just H2A, not just pay people more. There's this training and development piece that is kind of lost in those two big buckets that are easier to write about because training development's a little more soft and harder to measure like the other two things are. Yeah. What about any other challenges that you guys are kind of dealing with right now? Uh, you know, one of the things that we're finding as we roll into this uh, omni-channel approach is, and I, I'm sure a few folks in our industry have to deal with it, let's call it Costa, Bonnie's, maybe one or two others, is individual ag regulations in individual states. That is mm -hmm. definitely, as we go from shipping 15 states across these retail outlets were covered, and we're pretty uh, uh, have pretty good knowledge and relationships with the ag departments in Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Virginia, so on yeah. and so forth. All of a sudden, we ship a box to a consumer on Lowe's.com to Idaho, and we have an ag inspection issue because it doesn't have the same, you know, there's a different certification method. So I think as all of us get involved in becoming omni and shipping to multiple uh, states over and above what we do today, we have to kind of look at that ag regulation and ag kind of by state regulation to assure we can ship this type plant into this area. In one area, it's not invasive. In another area, it might be, you know, things of that nature we have to learn. And then I think number two, Brian, is this government regulation. Uh, I, I don't believe any one thing like, you know, for years it was neonics. Uh, it, it just seems like there's always something coming down the pike and we got to stay ahead of it. Uh, and at our size and scope, we got to do it through government relations and staying ahead of it versus reacting to a rule that comes down. We have to be engaged with Craig and, and everybody at the different uh, uh, government relations folks to make sure we're ahead of that, not not waiting for it to happen to us. Yeah. So, you know, those are the challenges. So then on the flip side, then what are you most excited about for the future? You know, both in terms of Metroline as a company and then for your customers and then for the industry as a whole. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it's so cool. Uh, we have gained 25% as a company, as an industry, whatever you want to call the number since COVID. Uh, holding on to that, I'm super excited about. Uh, there aren't many industries where you can have that level of a step change. Here's an industry growing 2 to 3% a year, 
all of a sudden we get 25% growth over two years and we haven't given much of it back, hardly any of that. I mean, I'm watching the industry grow this year, which is great news. We had a little bit of right-sizing, you know, the three little bears thing I was talking earlier that yeah. we're uh, doing, but that right-sizing still is leading to growth for our industry. We still have a consumer wanting to invest in our category and consider this a fun and, 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 and um, uh, benefiting hobby and we got to keep investing in that and understanding that and keep changing to meet that need. And so I'm super excited that we don't have an aging demographic for our consumer. We have younger people coming in. We have older people who still engage. We have uh, homeowners and parents who still engage. And so our breadth of who we can sell to and who will buy our product is just as wide as it's ever been. These 20 million new consumers, most all have stayed in our hobby. So that just feels great. I don't have to go out there and cultivate new consumers. I just got to sell more to the ones we have, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So, you know, it, as as we wind down a little bit here, so I've, just, I've got a couple other questions for you. So what's the best part of your day? And then, you know, of all the plants that you guys produce, is, is there one right now that you kind of said to yourself, we need to have this at my own home? You know, what, yeah. what's, what plant really excites you right now? Yeah, it's, it's funny because you, uh, you know, we have our trial gardens here on site at our Huntersville yeah. facility. So the breeders come and visit us to watch them. And they literally do drive by our homes to see what we've all planted ourselves. <laughs> so that's actually a literal contest. Uh, and so uh, so it, it's funny at the different homes of the different folks in our business, they have to go around and look. But, yeah. you know, but let me back up for, for me, uh, you know, in any day uh, when I see someone and, and I'm going to use this term kind of loosely, get it, where where it's like a data point finally hits or they see something happen in, in, in the greenhouse or in the data or in the someone with a, a, a personnel development. And you can just see it click. You see it click where they get it. And now that years of experience and training paid off. And now they're naturally making these decisions without yeah. leadership or direction. Man, that, that that doesn't happen daily, but it happens weekly, and it's great to see. Uh, it is like, and it's just little things. It doesn't always have to be a big breakthrough, like they invented a new plant. It's just that capability and ability to take the knowledge and training and turn it into a great decision that helps the company. That That's just so cool for me, and I, I see that so many times here, uh, um, you know, both in our stores and at the facilities that happen on a weekly basis. Okay. I can imagine that's just refreshing too, because it helps you that your employees then be, feel like they're part of the entire company and the entire system of Metrolina. If they can, if they have the empowerment to, to learn something and make those decisions then. Yep. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's also very uh, refreshing and enlightening for myself and my three brothers, because the list that we want to get done versus the list we've accomplished uh, the list we want to get done is a much longer. And the more our team can be taking and, and, and advancing and developing allows us to go work in that long list of items that still needs to be done uh, oh, yeah. versus trying to tackle ones that uh, we just have to do on a day-to-day -day basis. So I, that, that excites me and gets me going every day. Because again, that list of things we haven't done is much longer than the list of things we have done. Thanks for joining us. You can learn more at greenhousegrower.com Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen.